it's exceptionally hard on business, including mine, but but um, but we have to stay focused and stay positive and, and focus on the things that we can control and the things that we can do rather than on the negative. And, uh, and that's going to um, see us in good stead. I think, um, you know, the humility of this situation and the way that it's humbled us, you know, it, it's going to flow into creative projects in the future. And I really do believe that the city will come back stronger. Today on Dirty Linen, I'm chatting to Ben Shuri from Attica. Uh, Funnily enough, I've spent quite a bit of time with Ben over the past six months, socially distanced, of course. Uh, we've been running the Attica Soup Project together, which I'm sure we'll, we can cover in this chat. But Ben, I mean, honestly, I know you haven't listened to one episode of my podcast, so the only way to get you to associate with it at all was to get you on it. So you've been hassling me for so long, I finally let you come on for a chat. Thank you. <laughs> Is that true? Have I been hassling you? <laughs> yeah, every, every actually, week it's like... <laughs> isn't this the first time every... I've actually heard of this podcast? I think it might be. Yeah, I mean, um, every time I say I do a podcast or, yeah, I guess I've got it on the podcast this week, it, you're really busy, you're just blanking me doing something else. So that's fine. I was doing that's a pot fine. of soup or something like that probably or chopping something or, <laughs> or doing dishes. Mm, possibly, possibly. I think I'm usually <laughs> doing the dishes, aren't I? But anyway. Lately. Um, lately, so since I've been trolled so badly by you that I finally found the dish pit. <laughs> Um, if you want any, anybody listening out there, if you want people to do dishes, the, the pathway to getting people to do dishes is just to bully them constantly. That's my blanket <laughs> rule for getting people to do dishes. Yeah, I've certainly learned a lot about um, people management by observing you, Ben. So we would definitely get onto that as well. But first of all, I wanted to thank you for putting on a party for Melbourne on the weekend. Uh, it was a pretty crazy plan uh, but I, I thought it was really cool do you want to tell people what it was yeah sure um I mean I guess uh, in the very first lockdown whenever that was was that even was it in March I think it was in March um yeah or April um I had this idea about how cool it would be uh to organize people were a bit down and I thought it would be really cool to organize you know a virtual party um at home for people to get on their nice clothes, um, decorate their living rooms like discos and nightclubs, and you know, I would provide the the information how to do that, um, make some party recipes, and then tune into an amazing live performance of one of my favourite bands of all time, the Avalanches, who happen to be uh, a Melbourne group. And that was just a thought that I had when I was walking home after a really long shift um, at Attica. And um, I immediately acted on it. Um, the, the beauty of this time has been the immediacy of people, and ev everybody's diaries are open. And um, and I, you know, I didn't know um, Robbie and Tony from the Avalanches at that point, and I just sent them a message um, and said, "Hey, would you entertain this crazy idea?" And uh, they did entertain it, and Robbie and I ended up meeting up and becoming close friends actually through it. Um, but they had um, already um, agreed to perform with the NASA, the International Space Orchestra. Um, so at that point in time, their schedule was full. And I guess fast forward uh, four months um, and we're in lockdown again. And uh, the guys came and back to me and said, would you, would you still be up for doing that idea? And, you know, let's flesh it out. And, 
yeah, and it happened in 5,000 um, households, I guess, in Melbourne and around the world tuned in and, um, and we had a party and it was really fun. It was really fun. And I think, you know, when you set the date, it was going to be the end of stage four lockdown. And it was, uh, you know, I guess a celebration that we'd got through it and we're coming out the other side. As it's turned out, the date has been pushed back and Melbourne is still uh, heavily restricted in what we can do. So I think there was... um, there was there was still a feeling, I think, of celebration just, you know, from when I tuned in and just watching people uh, be part of it on social media. I think people feel, really felt like they there was something to celebrate about just getting to where we've got to and, and sticking with it and just how challenging it's been for so many people. It was definitely a feeling of relief and release and togetherness. And it really felt like there was, there was, there was something about Melbourne that was really worth celebrating in that event and on that night. Well, that's right, you know, and um, and Robbie and Tony and myself, um, Kylie, you know, who works here with me and is my partner, as you know, um, you know, we just want to reinforce this idea that you know life doesn't doesn't stop today because COVID has arrived, and in my you know my attitude just generally more broadly to life and to life at all points in time, but especially during hard times, is that I don't want to look back at the end of my life. And have this period where I didn't do anything um, or I didn't try to enjoy, at least enjoy it because life's so short and to to pass up an opportunity to sort of live and in a real way, uh, if you can, um, I think it's a great shame. And that that was kind of really from my perspective, that was what I was trying to get across to people that, um, you know, um, we're all going through this. Um, let's just try to get through it the best way possible. I mean, you do seem to always be trying something new and to be relentlessly positive and creative. Not everyone is able to muster that positivity at the moment. Um, why do you think you're able to? I think it it's, um, probably comes from my upbringing and, you know, where I come from. I, I talk about, you know, my privilege um, quite often and my privilege was not a financial privilege but it was a privilege of watching my parents, Kay and Rob, um, do this incredibly hard graft in their small business, which is a farm. My mum was had a career and was a school principal and full-time teacher as well as raising three children with my dad. And they really struggled. Um, it was very, very difficult financially for them. And I just sort of bore witness that to that my entire childhood but at the same time they were never complaining about it um and we it, we had never felt like a negative thing that that it was such a struggle and such a graft um and so that's probably like where that where that comes from i think um you know also having had a few harder times myself i think they humble you um and and you know we, we, we were talking the other day danny and um you know i think it just depends on the, of the context of everything, you know, how hard is it really? Um, you know, I know people that have been through horror in their lives. And and so for, for me, I, I try to keep a bit of perspective on this. You know, we've had staff here whose family have fled, you know, persecution in North Korea and in the process have lost half their family, murdered by, you know, by people trying to get out of the country, get to South Korea. You know, we've, we've had people that have lived through genocide you know there's 
I know your dad, for example, survived the Holocaust, you know. And so, so for me, I try to keep those stories that I know from people that I know in mind when I, when I, when I'm thinking about how bad it is right now, because um, I think perspective is is a really important thing, and it can always be a lot worse. Um, I think during this time, you know, it you could be like people's reactions and, and people's attitude and some people's behavior, you know, it, it can be surprising, you know? Um, but, um, you know, I'm doing my best not to judge. I'm, I'm always remembering that, you know, that everybody's circumstance is different than, and I come from this place of privilege and my privilege is that I had this childhood, which was incredibly positive. Um, and that is of intrinsic value to me. Um, I mean, and, yeah. yeah. I guess, I guess the, the other the other, you, the other yeah. side too is though is in the business sense, Danny, is that you know, is that in terms of like Attica, you know, restaurants are closed in Melbourne right now for the dining rooms are closed. Um, but the the opinion that I take is that it still could be worse. At least we can do takeaway and delivery, whereas some businesses, you know, the airlines, a lot of hotels. Um, you know, hairdressers, my personal trainer, they can't do anything right now. So I still have this this way to make a living. It's not ideal, but I still have this. And then secondary, what I've learned across 15 years that I've run Attica, but in particular the last five years that I've that I've that I've owned Attica, is that uh, problems, you know, are the definition of business. And so this, to me, is just another problem <laughs> to overcome mm-hmm. in the mix of many other problems that you just face in business. And I think it's um, it's really important in a time like this that, and really beneficial. You know, I'm lucky that I've got a lot of really good people around me so we can face these problems together um, and overcome it. And that, that's just how I view this time, I suppose. Well, sure, business it is defined by the problems that beset it, but this is a, a pretty big one. I reckon there might be people who imagine that because you run this world-famous restaurant uh, that it's hasn't been that hard. Like don't you just put out a little post on Instagram <laughs> and suddenly sales yeah. flood in and you can sell anything yeah. you want? Like, I mean, has it been hard? Yes, yeah, no, sweet as it's real easy. Um, yeah, it's just a walk <laughs> in the cake and, um, you yeah, know, walk in the park and look last, you know, I just spent all last week um, watching Netflix and laying in bed. You know, it was great. You know, all the money just rolled in. <laughs> um, well, you know, I think those people, you know, who would who would uh, have that perspective, I think, you know, I think personally I think sometimes that having that perspective, i.e. like looking at what somebody else has built and that's what I've done. I've built this. There's nothing that was given to me here. Um, you know, um it, it's a it, it excuses us to them to basically um, move forward themselves. You know, there's this great saying, and I, and I I love this kind of live by it. And it's that you could be great today, but instead you choose tomorrow. And and that's exactly how I'm living in this moment. But it's generally how I try to live. And the idea is that you know today is to be absolutely maximised. And you know, like you, you know, you, you wipe. You know, you wipe down your kitchen bench at the end of the day. You know, with the rag, and it's by the time you've you've wiped it all down, it's sort of sopping wet, and you wring out, you know, that water from it every day 
I wring out every ounce of what I can out of this place and and out of myself. And that that's because it's not a time to be sitting back and and um, and saying, well, you know, look at what somebody else has got. I mean, I'm not. I'm not competitive with other people anyway. I'm running my own race, you know, like I think um, that, you know, I, I really admire other people's businesses and, and love going there, but I never look at other people's businesses and think, oh, I wish I had that or I wish I'd built that. Um, in terms of like, you know, Attica being this well-known uh, place, um, that's true, but to counter that, you know, thirty percent, around thirty percent of our customers were international uh, visitors. Um, we were operating a menu that three hundred and thirty dollars per person. Uh, it was five days only. We were cooking fine dining, and um, and we and we had to flip that into completely new, two new businesses actually, and um, and we just did that through incredibly hard work and. I suppose, uh, you know, I think this time more than any other time, you know, if you don't have your finger on it uh, and if you're not completely engaged with your business and you're not actually there at the coalface with your staff as well, then you can't really expect much to happen. Mm. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to hear you say that thing about wringing out the rag because I think you have really wrung out what Attica was. Like it's that restaurant is not there right now and what you have created, you know, a restaurant that's doing garlic bread and pavingtons and, you know, obsessing over shaving apples and I don't know, like there's a lot of crazy stuff running a soup kitchen. It's a very different place and I think to have that uh, that mindset that you can just let that go to some extent and do something that's so different is um yeah it's 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 pretty I don't know it shows a, it shows a great effort of will or or a great uh level of acceptance about what the situation is and what it's put in front of you to do well I think the the more that you deny the the situation the more it holds you back you know I think accepting things the way that they are and moving forward is the, is the only way for me you know I I I had, you know, I, as I've said many times, the very first day that I realised that, you know, COVID was coming, we're going to have to close the dining room. I thought that, you know, I would lose my business. Like everybody has, you know, thought that they would lose their business. And um, and so um, that was that one day that allowed that sort of self-doubt. And then the next day, you know, I went to work. And, you know, I've consistently worked between, you know, 80 and 100 hours or more through COVID because that's what's been necessary to, um, for my, you know, for, for my business to survive so far. I think, like, you know, Attica has never really, like, been about, to me, what it, what it, its product or what it did. It, it's always been, like, a, a bigger thing to me. It's been about, it's not the four walls, it's not the building, it's not the location of Ripley even. You know, it's really about this group of people um, and what you can do you know, when you have the right group of people and our group of people has, you know, certain attributes that allow us to do this work now as well because all of our staff have had to really change their roles as well, you know, their jobs. You know, we have highly qualified sommeliers and 
front of house staff driving their cars and delivering food to people's houses. And we have chefs that used to make small amounts of food, making high volumes and still needing it to, to be at the same level. Um, everybody's been on this really big learning curve and we're really serious about recruitment here. You know, we, as you know, we hire for, you know, attitude mostly and intelligence and curiosity, uh, but, but things like kindness and um, optimism, empathy, self-awareness, integrity, those are all coming before what skills do you actually have, you know, because I think it's it's easy to be part of a winning team or have a winning mentality when everything's going your way and you won awards or you're, you know, you're full every night, but you'd be judged by, you know, and you should be judged, I think, as a team by how you react when the chips are down and your back's against the wall. Um, and because we because we hired for character, first and foremost, and attitude, these people that work here have done an exceptional job so far, and and that's carrying us through as well. So all in a way, all I have to do is make sure that my my habits are positive and professional. Um, and I and I ask myself every day whether I'm not I'm making pro moves, um, and I focus on the process, my opinion is that amateurs focus on outcomes. You know, I, I literally focus on the process. So understanding the process is super important to me and to us because, you know, if I want to come back to a successful outcome again and again and again, and that's what any, you know, elite business needs to do, then I have to have the system in place that allows that um, and that allows that you to get, these results that we get consistently at the level that you desire. So it's about building a system. We've built a new system here, but we already had a system of excellence in place, if you like. Um, and everybody here buys into that, you know. Um, and it's just been it's been amazing to be with this group of people through this um, and to see each other have their, each other's backs every day. And then, you know, more broadly as well, to see, you know, the way that the community... Um, has reacted I think you know in that first week as we were I think we had four days to turn Attica which was a fine dining restaurant into Attica at home which was a food delivery service and um, the Attica bake shop which was a you know cake shop for uh, a few days I think we had about four days and there was this moment where Kylie Stadden who's operations manager here and I had sort of planned these things well, we're planning these things. And we sort of wondered, you know, will anybody actually care? You know, it was this sort of sad moment where, like, you know, we felt like, well, you know, and I don't ever think like this because the work that you do in community, the work you do for other people, you should never seek to get a return from it. You know, it's the just the best way to live. If you, if you do things for people and don't expect anything in return, then you're never disappointed. So I definitely take that approach. And I thought, well, you know, Kylie and Kylie vocalised it, said, you know, oh, we over the years, you know, we've we've done so much for other people, but will anybody come to us in our time of need? You know, we need people now, you know, and mm. and we had weeks rather than months, you know, um, and and people did, you know, and then that first week and since, you know, the feedback from people has just been so incredible, and there were people coming to that to that bake shop in that first week who had 
had their last pay packet then been made redundant or they'd been stood down and they said look you know we this is my last salary and but i wanted to come here and spend you know eight dollars on a piece of cheesecake and it's just that stuff just <laughs> is mind-boggling you know when you hear that from people when people care about um your business and kind of what it stands for you know that's yeah. incredibly humbling and and i and i and i've carried that with me this entire time we have this amazing wall here in the kitchen um and when we get letters from people, we get letters from, you know, like handwritten letters and beautiful emails and cards and art, works of art and gifts and all kinds of things get sent here every week. And we stick them up on this wall and this, almost this entire wall of the kitchen now is covered with these messages. And we look at it and read them and it carries us, you know. We keep their, yeah. those people in mind. We keep our customers in mind constantly. Um, yeah, because this is like, you know, it's no kind of poor me here. Um you know, it, it's it's unfortunate what's happened, you know, but I've accepted what's happened. Um, and it's not somebody else's problem to deal with. It's my problem. This is my business yeah. and I take responsibility for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say I've spent quite a bit of time at Attica through COVID and I haven't seen one ounce of pity leaking out anywhere. It just has not been a factor at all. Um, so, Ben, you've sort of explained how you lead your business and it's through... The, I guess the way that you recruit and the qualities that you value in other people and and display in yourself. But I know a lot of people in the broader industry look to you as a leader. How do you take that role? How do you think about that role? And do you do you feel like you're a leader? And if so, how do you display that leadership? Uh, yeah, no, I, I I appreciate that people you know see that in me. Um, it's a funny thing because I was a very you know quiet kid. Uh, quite shy and you know when I transitioned from primary school to high school you know I really didn't feel like I had any leadership qualities at all you know when I went to high school I'd gone from a you know a school with a with a role of seven and I went to a high school of 400 which in Australian terms is a very small high school but that was a huge school to me and moved from the country into a small town country town we'd moved from the back country to a small country town and I was so anxious about being around that amount of people and being you know in front of the kind of that amount of people that tears would well up in my eyes if I ever had to say anything in front of the class or anything like that mm -hmm. it was just it was just totally foreign and benign to me and um and I sort of so I've you know it's been a bit quieter and I carried that and then um I was working at government house in my early 20s in New Zealand and they, for some reason, they were, I was a, a sous chef and they asked me to give a speech to um, a group of uh, high school kids. Uh, it was a fair old group, it was about 150 of them in the in the mm. uh, banqueting hall at Government House. And oh, what do I have to say? So I stood up in front of them and they, they just were so like, you know, it was the typical, I, I suppose, teenagers of the time. And um, just <laughs> it was just like the quietest room. Like there wasn't a word. They but they weren't engaged. It was it was just like a horrific experience. And um, <laughs> and I was just like had no confidence with leading or communicating to people about you know how to lead. And um, and then I you know I even had a job where once where the chef um, you know who had somewhat of a hostile nature um, said, said you know had meetings with me to try to you know, to pump me up to say, you know, come on, you've got to lead more like a man boy, you know. And um, and he said, you know, when I, you know, when somebody walks into the kitchen, you know, they walk into the kitchen and 
they look around and there could be 40 chefs in the kitchen, but they know who I am. You know, I'm not over in the corner picking spinach. You know, I remember him saying that um, he was basically <laughs> saying that they would know who he was without even knowing who he was just by his very presence. And uh, I thought, oh, man, give me a break. Mm. It's like so ridiculously arrogant. Um, but, but I think, um, you know, le- with leadership kind of, you know, actions speak louder than words always, you know. So, um, you know, that's kind of what I, that's what I live by, you know, that, you know, a lot of times my leadership would be through doing my work letting my work do the talking. Um, and if, you know, if I have an issue with something that's going on in community, it's, it, it's, I would always target, you know, the broader issue um, and not an individual. Um, it comes back to, you know, being graceful. Um, I would always want to lead in a graceful way and not criticize other people um, because I think it's, you know, it's just really easy to jump down somebody's throat, especially online and and I always just try to step back off that and um, and understand that look, their situation is different to mine. Their upbringing was different to mine, and I have different privileges than they do. So my understanding of something might be different, you know. And um, um, and so I don't like to condemn people um, if I can avoid it, you know, especially not publicly. And um, and I think you know here. Um, you know, it's just this, you know, there's just been this sort of counterintuitive idea of how to run restaurants, and that's that they've been run on fear, you know, and that the only way that you're going to reach this level is if people are really scared. And I come from a different part of the world and a different mentality than that. I don't come from that's a European mentality that comes from France, that comes from England. I don't subscribe to that mentality. I've been subjected to that mentality, and early on when I was younger, I also lived with that mentality. And, and I regret that, you know, but, but, the, but really my true character is not to lead that way. My true character is that, you know, you want to set a high example personally, first and foremost within yourself and, and then, and then teach other people how to come along with that. And the best ways that I was dealt with as a youngster in the kitchen, the ways that cut through to me in terms of my learning and when I wasn't reaching the level that was required was when, I was just very directly told that that was not the level, that, that they were disappointed in me and they didn't yell at me, they didn't have to call my mother a horrible name, which was, you know, the technique of mm. many people in the past. And those were the things that cut through to me the most when they when there was a sense of disappointment, you know. And I spoke to one of my young staff this morning, um, you know, about something that he's developing for a menu and it just wasn't good enough. It's not hasn't been served to anybody, but he served it to me. And I said, listen, you know, you must think it through the eyes of the customer because when I ate that, I didn't think that you were thinking of me and I didn't think that you were thinking of somebody else either. You know, so you've got to be able to think of the person that's going to eat that. It's critical. It's crucial that you think of them. You know, that's because what you've done really is, you know, you've basically, you know, delivered the technical aspect of what you were trying to achieve but you haven't delivered any hospitality you know so you know the technical Mm. thing is right like well there's there's a soup that needs to be served you know and you served it so yes you take the box but but if it wasn't delicious if it wasn't you know good value um if it wasn't beautiful if you didn't if we didn't deliver it with the level of service and care then there was no hospitality attached to that you know so uh, i guess my you know, my idea of, of leadership is, um, you know, 
is just like do it good, you know, do it right. And um, <laughs> and but at the same time, let's not destroy people as we do it, you know. Um, not yeah. people and community, and not the environment, and not definitely not the staff. Yeah, well, I mean, it's so interesting that you would say something or be served something that wasn't up to scratch, but where. I guess an old school way of doing it might be to turn that back on the person and talk and, and look at, you know, where they had failed, but you're actually broadening it out and looking at the experience that they're delivering to somebody else. So it's like, yeah, that they, they haven't fulfilled the potential of what it is that they, they, they're trying to do. So it's a much gentler no, they, they, and more positive they, way of um, expressing uh, disappointment or, or a lack in something that's being served. No, they haven't, they haven't lived up to, you know, their potential either, you know. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, I think it, 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 you know, it's easy for chefs to not see customers. It's really, really easy because we don't see customers often, you know. So, like, I think front of house have a much better grasp of, you know, of, of hospitality generally, you know, of making people feel great, you know, whereas, you know, cooks want people to like their food, but sometimes it's not that direct relationship with the with the customer with the guests and and um and so it you know as i matured and got older and and was more experienced and owned my own business it was just very very easy to see that direct correlation and how absolutely central that was to everything um and so i really tried to get you know the team to understand that you know and it, and in matters of discipline we'll always come back to that because that's ultimately all that matters you know did they love it you know, and, and, <laughs> and did it make them happy? You know, like, because if it didn't, we've failed. You know, um, I dropped some food over to my mum and dad today and they are still talking about the meal that I bought, the Father's Day meal I bought from Attica 10 days ago. They're still talking about it. And in fact, I think oh, my mum's so writing nice. you a, a, le a letter today. So maybe wow. that can go oh up on the God. wall and, wow, at some that's point. so cool. But, well, the bad you know, thing that, is that, she, <laughs> that I was going to tell you, the bad thing is, Ben, that um, she said that your cheesecake is better than mine. <laughs> well, I've been waiting for that bit of feedback, actually. That's very good to know. <laughs> but I still think that we can't really be friends until you've tried my cheesecake. And I can't believe it's been all these months we've been making this cheesecake. You haven't haven't tried. Just to give some context, um, people listening um, out there, <laughs> Danny has, um, you know, a, a a, a baked cheesecake recipe that she has published and holds in exceptionally high regard. She, in fact, she says it's the best <laughs> baked cheesecake um, ever. I, I myself also sell a baked cheesecake, but I would never say it was the best. I would just say that it's, it, it's an excellent <laughs> cheesecake and let people be the judge. Um, and it sounds like your mother, um, you know, <laughs> despite the, the blood ties is on my side here, which is very positive and very good to hear today. It makes me very happy, Danny. Oh, I'm glad to how does make it make you how happy. does it make you feel, Danny? How does it make you feel, though? It makes me want Disloyal? your cheesecake. Oh, there you go. Uh -huh. oh, see, that's, the pos that's the positive outlook. Yeah. See, I, yeah. I always loved it when, like, when I was younger, before I started to create like my own thing, my own style, and walk to the beat of my own drum with cooking and with this business. I always loved the feeling that that a meal that was like so much better than what I was capable of making gave me. Like I learnt, always learnt so much more from, from that experience, from that ever cooking anything well myself. You know, there's, there's certain moments in my career prior to starting at yeah. Attica where 
you know, it's just like a realization, oh man, you've just got so far to go. You're so far down the road. This person is just leagues above your ability and your vision. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying that's the case with the cheesecake, but it could be. It could be. That could be a learning (laughs) experience for you, Danny. Yeah, well, you know, I've got a lot, a lot of life ahead of me and a lot of cheesecakes yet to bake, so I don't mind if they get better. But it, it makes me think of something my dad used to say when I was a kid. He'd play squash every week with uh, his friend Elliot, the, who's actually the, the man that introduced my parents many, many years ago in London. And Dad um, said, I, I can't remember how it came up. I think I might have asked who won, and Elliot always won. And I said to Dad, you know, why do you like playing Elliot? And he said he liked playing Elliot because he was just that little bit better than Dad was. So he always had to keep trying and keep trying to beat him. <laughs> so that, that always stayed with me. <laughs> Amazing. Um, let's talk about the soup project that we've been doing and let's do it without you being mean about my knife skills and how much mess <laughs> I make. And, um, how this I is a really podcast about positivity to... then, is it? Is that, is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> yeah, that's it. You can say whatever you want. Um, well, Dan- Danny, there's, I this, think there's, it... this, there's, this, there's this line that I like and it goes something to the effect of when people tell you that you're wrong, they're almost always right. But when they continue to tell you how to how to fix it, they're almost always wrong, and um, so that could be this. That could be said of of me um, and you in relation to knife skills or kitchen cleanliness. Yeah, am I correct? Yeah, no. Yeah, probably. No, I've learned so much actually. I mean, I've never spent much time in a professional kitchen, but it's um, it's been. I've loved it actually. It's been so interesting. It's so, you know so, sometimes terrifying, and you really, I really got to do something about your taste in music. But um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's been good. But I I wanted to talk about the mood, like the mood among the visa holders, because what just for people who aren't aware, the Attica Soup Project uh, makes soup, and now we give also groceries, and you know hopefully enough food to get people through the week. We do it. Um, we make soup on Wednesdays, we give it away on Thursdays and we've been doing it I think since April and I, I suppose once when we started I never thought it would be going this long but it doesn't feel like it's um, going to be finishing anytime soon or certainly that need is not diminishing. Um, and I feel like early on it was just something that sprang out of a sense of injustice and it was as much about um, raising awareness of the issues around the government not looking after temporary visa holders as it was about giving them something to eat but it's gone it's at first it didn't feel like there was I don't know we knew there was a pandemic but it didn't feel like the virus was everywhere and then things got really so dark and heavy didn't they when we went you know the numbers started going up and everything got into other stages of lockdown it's just it's been it's been emotional, hasn't it? Oh, it has. It's you know, it's definitely. I mean, firstly, it's just a great pleasure to, to do this with you. Um, and uh, Joel, jokes aside, you know, you, you do you are a, a fantastic help in the kitchen, and um, and absolutely just a absolute trooper with organisation and um, the ordering and just everything that goes into this thing, um, along with Kylie. Um, but it's just. Um, it's just such an intense thing. We, I think either of us, you know, for me, you know, it was a reaction to the fact that we had, you know, we had to survive the pandemic. Attica had to just completely focus on itself, the company. Um, and that's not our natural operating mode. You know, we always have some social aspect going on, whether it's spoken or unspoken, mostly unspoken. And, um, 
and we weren't doing that at the time. And then, you know, you and I kind of came to the same conclusion at the same time, right? You know, it was this need. Um, I was very, very fearful for the Attica staff that were on visas, that are on visas, as many of them. I think there's more than uh, half of our labour force. Um, and, you know, if Attica failed, then these people would be out in the cold, literally, you know, um, without any uh, access to anything. And and like you, um, that that could happen in such a wealthy country as Australia, where these people were invited here, wanted here, um, were asked to come here to fulfil jobs that we that needed to be filled with skills that, you know, uh, weren't available. Um, and then all of a sudden, when things got a little tough, uh, well, we're not we're just going to write you out of any kind of um, financial help, and um, and that just didn't. That doesn't speak to my Australian experience. Um, that doesn't speak to me as a migrant who came here in 2002 and has just felt so wanted here and so welcome here. That didn't speak to my experience. It didn't sit well with me. And, um, you know, I think we just both decided at the same time that we would do something about it and in a small way. And, jeez, uh, yes, it is a really, you know, week to week it's an emotional thing. Um and I, you know, mm. I think even uh, probably more lately, I've even just tried to try to, you know, keep. Uh, I've almost tried to keep a wall between that emotion, and because I, it's almost too much sometimes, you know, uh, if I'm being mm. honest, um, uh, people are doing it tough, and and um, you know, these people don't have the privilege of people. Uh, a lot of people that were born here because, you know, they don't have families to return to. Um, you know, they don't have mum and dad to move in with again. You know, they. Um, they don't have job keeper, um, the job um, saver, whatever it's called. Seeker. I'm sure. Yeah. Seeker. Um, job seeker. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and um, you know, a lot of them are paying for their own health insurance. You know, like um, they they have costs, and um, and so and it's been going on a really long time now. You know, some of the people that we that we cook for and give food to, you know, been come must be just about six months now. Danny, is it? I don't know. Yeah, I think it is. And yeah, I mean, we have a lot of the same people that come each week and I call a lot of them friends now. And um, yeah, they're good people in a, in a really shit situation and Australia should be better than that. No, that's right. And these are, you know, they're senior uh, people from all different levels, but there are a lot of very, very experienced hospitality people um, that are mm. relying on this food who have uh, incredible skills um, and experiences and are, you know have been assets to Australian companies and um, it's just um, it's just yeah, I think it was just bewildering to the both of us but you know I'm uh, sort of of the belief that you just sort of get on and do what you can uh, to help and you know the philosophy of my company is um, is that um, it's one that you know I, I you know I, I look other companies that aren't hospitality companies really for inspiration, and particularly to Patagonia, who is a California company run by Von Chinoid. And um, and I just think that I I admire the most um, that pri- in private companies that 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 contribute to society in a meaningful way, whether it be through environmental causes or social causes. But in some way, they they work out a way of giving back to the community um, in a way that is. Um, you know, that is that has integrity, and that it, that that I am not doing it for, for you know public relations reasons. You know, and I think mm-hmm. um, 
um, you know, I don't think any company should do it because it's going to make them look good, um, you know, and, and with the soup project, um, you know, it's a really big commitment for you and me, Danny, isn't it? You know, it's a really big commitment for my company. Um, this is not a small yeah. thing. We are the ones um, that do this work, you know, and willingly and gratefully. Um, but, you know, we are the ones that get up, you know, at 6 a.m. to make the soup on Wednesday and then uh, pretty much spend most of Thursday um, handing it out and packing grocery bags. And, um, you know, and there's a lot that goes into it. And um, I'm grateful for do do it but the the thing about it is is that if you start something and you make commitment to people you don't you know you don't really uh stop and to, unless you can't do it anymore or there's no longer a requirement you know mm, yeah no, you talked a lot much about a, privilege well that's right you know we well you know there's very i as I say the demand is not decreasing you know um yeah. it's um very much a, a real thing and people need it and you know um the support that you've been able to offer people with your frequent emails um your lists of jobs and uh support is just um extraordinary um and i think um you know without uh, at risk of blowing your trump a little bit but uh, i think you're a great example of uh somebody who has um you know when faced you know because maybe people don't listening out they don't understand about you, Danny, is that you've lost almost all of your work, uh, your meaningful employment, but instead uh, of, you know, complaining about it, you um, decided you'd do other things and um, and and lead positively. I think that's really inspiring. Certainly, um, it's been inspiring for me to watch you do that and many others. Oh, ben, thanks. We'll edit that bit out, all right, Rob? Yeah, that'd be good, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Can you give me that $50 you. note thank that you promised me? <laughs> yeah, totally. Tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's coming. Um, ben, thank you. And let's finish by you talking a little bit about Melbourne and uh, what where you think Melbourne is at and how Melbourne's going to come out of this period. There are a lot of people that are, you know, singing the death knell of Melbourne and, and saying that Melbourne is, uh, is going to be many, many years in recovery. And, of course, there are sadly many businesses that are perhaps not going to open. Um some people are doing it so, so tough. Uh, personally, I feel like the energy that's in Melbourne and, and our belief in our hospitality scene is going to buoy it and we're going to be, it's going to be great. But what do you think? No, I'm with you. You know, I'm a glass half full type of person. Um, you know, Melbourne to me, you know, is the greatest city in the world you know that's one of the reasons why I moved here I left a great city in Wellington New Zealand which is one of the best small cities in the world and to come here and I never left and I've you know I've had the immense privilege as a chef to pretty much go everywhere and anywhere that I wanted in the world um, for work and I've seen a lot and there's you know many great places around the world but I you know I always am reminded when I return here uh, what a wonderful place this is to live and um, and I I think it for me it's the energy and hospitality of the place it's the way that um people generally are exceptionally kind here um and I you know I I I can never forget um the I think of the first month that I was living here in 2002 and I it was a really hot day it was I don't know if it was 40 or something and I went down the down beach road to Black Rock and I sat in the water um and there was thousands, it felt like thousands, I'm sure it was hundreds or thousands of people sitting in the water as well and mm-hmm. all up to their waist. And I looked around and everybody was talking and yakking and you know, like a bunch of 
gannets or galahs or something, you know, and I was like, holy <laughs> cow, this is just amazing, you know, and, I, and, and as I said earlier, you know, I've always, um, always just felt so wanted here and I, you know, and I really believe in um, the spirit of this place and, uh, and in the creative energy of this place and I think, um, you know, while this, you know, I don't want to understate how hard it is on people, it's exceptionally hard on business, including mine, but but um, but we have to stay focused and 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 stay positive and and focus on the things that we can control and the things that we can do rather than on the negative and uh, and that's going to um, see us in good stead. I think um, you know Melbourne is a real place and um, I've always felt in my own business you know that that I was able to make you know thought and emotion visible in a way that seems natural and not artificial and I think you know the humility of this situation and the way that it's humbled us you know it, it's going to flow into creative projects in the future and I really do believe that the city will come back stronger and it may take some time but um, I know that there's you know I've been really encouraged by many many people that I've witnessed fight and uh, and innovate and evolve and um, I'm really just looking forward to seeing, you know, what some of those people do. And, uh, you know, entrepreneurs will find ways to keep going. And and um, and that's what I'm choosing to focus on, you know. Um, and I think when uh, we actually do get these restrictions eased in the future, that it's just going to feel amazing and it's, um, and it's going to um, bring a lot of energy and joy and positivity to this place. Yeah, I reckon you're right. Uh, ben, thank you so much for coming along and having a chat and I will see you tomorrow for soup. Don't be late, Danny. <laughs> I won't. See ya. Thanks. Bye. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. <laughs>